welcome to episode 411 of Awards Daily's Water Cooler Podcast. My name is Clarence Moy, and I am joined by the other two M's. So M's, let's go around the cooler and tell the listeners who you are and where they can find you on the internet. Joey, we'll start with you this week. Hi, I'm Joey Moser. You can find me on Twitter at JoeyMoser83. Megan? Hi, I'm Megan McLaughlin. You can find me on Twitter at HeyDudeMeg. And again, I'm Clarence Moy. You can find me on Twitter at Clarence Moy. Happy Oscar week, guys. Yes, we're almost there. We're, we're so almost close. <laughs> Happy Oscar week to all those who celebrate. Yeah. The part where it's like, can it be over now? <laughs> I'm so tired of the discourse that... Everyone is ruining everything. Yeah. What? That's the thing. Like, the the more... Oscar seasons were a lot more fun for me personally when it was just when I not in my bubble because I, I I did look at predictions in magazines and things like that when I was growing up. But it was it was a lot more fun when you didn't have 15,000 opinions and all these videos on YouTube with all of these opinions. I mean, you know, of course, everybody's entirely their own opinion. That's great. But it becomes exhausting because everything has been said. And everything, you know, it, it just I was pe- uh, texting Joey this morning, Megan. I was like, happy uh, anonymous ballot day because all these people are like, you know, oh, no, there's going to be an upset because nobody voted for everything everywhere all at once in the ballots for this publication. And it was all all quiet on the Western Front. Pete and Pete, uh, Pete um, Hammond. Hammond is saying all quiet on the Western Front is going to win. And, you know, just, just this whole discourse, as you said, is, is exhausting. Yeah. But happy Oscar. Which, what do you make of Pete Hammond saying that? Like, since I know he's kind of like, uh, as Sasha said, he's pretty good at predicting. I mean, personally, and, and Joey, I've opened it up to you too, but personally, my take on that is he's just, you know, he doesn't necessarily gain anything by being 100% right. And he has everything to gain yeah. being the one to say, I told you that film was going to win if it right. surprises. So. Right. Otherwise, nobody will say anything. Yeah. Yeah. What do you I, also, uh, I also think people are just bored. Yeah. Like, I mean, okay. <laughs> sure. Everybody wants to be right, but also, it's so weird, too, because so many people abhor a predictable season, and then so many people abhor the uh the in- instability of certain categories like they just you know just you can't have it both ways you can't have a predictable season and know all the results <laughs> you know? i mean and well, not I think, yeah i still think there's a chance that we don't like there could be different upsets there could definitely be upsets like do i think that everything everywhere all at once is winning yes but I mean, I think the Oscars are kind of like they're a whole other beast with uh, compared to all these other guilds and um, voting bodies. So you really never know what's going to happen. I predict. Just, it, 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 I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead, Joey. It's just that it's. I I really wish there was a certain point of the season, maybe just even like the week leading up to the actual Oscars or when, because Oscar voting ended on the 7th. So from when we're recording this yesterday, it's also just like Twitter should just shut off because I'm so, so like it's, you were saying, you know, everybody has 15,000 different opinions. And I think is 
everyone can have an opinion on something, but it's also just like, I don't need to hear it screamed down my throat all the time. And then it's just like, sure, like everyone's trying to work on their predictions and all this stuff, but it's also like, who cares? It's also just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just so exhausting. And then I, I, I think I said this to, to Megan where I saw someone commenting. He was like, oh God, I can't wait for Bella Ramsey to finally win an Emmy in four months. I was like, oh my God, you guys have no idea how long this is going to be. Like, chill the motherfuck fuck out. Right <laughs> I'm not talking about Emmys now. That is 100% not happening, by the way. Like, I will, I will, I sort of want to reply and be like, I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm going to punch you in the face. Shut up. And I know people can be like, well, then get off Twitter. And it's also just like, like, well, (laughs) brevity, people, brevity. (laughs) We're not here to talk about Emmys quite yet. That's coming up, but um, I've caught, I'm physically shook. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. And, uh, but I, I will say, I'm caught up on The Last of Us, and she's not winning an Emmy. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> not the letters ahead. can be sent to Clarence Moy. That's fine. At- That's fine. Because uh, <laughs> Ms. Melanie Linsky is getting her makeup Emmy from last year. Yes, I love that. That, that is exactly what's happening. It, there is no serious competition. The only way that Melanie Linsky possibly loses is if Succession decides to put Sarah Snook in lead actress this year instead of supporting to maximize their number of nominees. And I think that's a possibility because this is unexpectedly Succession's last year. I keep saying Succession, and that would be an entirely different show. But um, (laughs) Succession's last year. So anyway, we'll talk about more in the Emmys in in upcoming. Um, Before we jump into... So our main topic this, uh, this week is television centric it is um the new uh, amazon prime limited series daisy jones and the six which hopefully you've read if, if you're reading the website you've read megan's uh, fantastic review of the show we're going to dive into that show we're going to talk about uh, what we like about it and uh um all of the great wonderful things about it but before we do that since it is oscar season and i am in the closing up the oscar wars book um i do want to talk about the most infamous oscars perhaps ever the uh, the opening of the 1989 Oscars, which of course uh, featured a duet where Rob Lowe sang with Snow White, "Rolling on a River" or "Proud Mary." Sorry, "Proud Mary." <laughs> um, but before we do that, Joey, I want to ask you, how's yeah. the Oscar party coming? <laughs> uh, I think it's fine. Um, I was telling. I mean, the menu has been set for about a week now. Um, there's, um, I, I'm at a point where I, there's a point every year where I'm like, all right, I can make this ahead of time, this ahead of time, this ahead of time. And I think stupidly that it will, uh, give me an advantage going into Sunday late afternoon, but then something will happen and like the world blows up. (laughs) And then, like, I distinctly remember the the last Oscar party that I had in uh, Rochester, the Parasite year. And, like, it's sort of one thing tumbled into the next thing, tumbled into the next thing. And then all of a sudden I heard the doorbell ring and I was like, nothing is ready. <laughs> and I was, I, uh, Jason told me to put stuff, like, in the cooler for drinks. 
And I told like the five people that I already got here, I was like, hey, we are a little behind, but uh, here's this and this. And I distinctly remember kneeling on the floor, putting sodas into a cooler of ice and getting Jason's attention just by waving to get his his attention. It was like, it's bad, isn't it? Is it bad? I was like, people, he was like, people just got here. <laughs> like, chill the fuck out. <laughs> um, so we have reached that point yet. I'm sure it'll get there. Megan will. Um, I get kicked out of the party at some point. Well, that's because I feel like she does it on I I just come in the door and I'm like, what can I do? And it's like, get out. (laughs) (laughs) No. I'm I'm um, like a bad joke and he's not laughing. And then he that's that's usually when I get kicked (laughs) out. Um yeah, I I you know, I this is the first Oscar party in our house, in our the house that we bought over the summer. So we're going a little all out, like I sent like paper invitations to people, uh, stuff like that. Um, I like my menu this year. Um, I've test run a couple <laughs> of things. Um, after we're done recording, I'm going to test run my Oscar cookies, which I have never gotten a chance to do. I bought an Oscar shaped cookie cutter like eight years ago, and I've never really had a chance to use it. That's fantastic. Um, so I'm gonna see if I can do that. So um, I found a recipe online on a website that no longer exists. Um, but I still have a printout of the recipe. <laughs> um, so yeah. So long story short, long roundabout way. It's going well, but we'll see at one point I'll end up on the news because something explodes. <laughs> um, I, I, I hesitate to tell you this because I did fully intend to um, mail you the framed poster that I received of Pinocchio for your Oscar party. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't do it. I'm sorry, but it is okay. yours. I, I, I will oh, give that okay. to you because okay. I know how much you love that movie. And uh, not that I don't, but it's, it, I know it means more to you than it, than it perhaps does to me. So, um, and I also got a, um, I don't know if you guys saw on, uh, on Twitter, but I also received a um, signed poster of all quiet on the Western front signed by Edward. Oh, that poster. I did I see that. that. I saw that. So I will be keeping that one. Unfortunately, the poster looks in the box in, that it came in had actual footprints on it. Um, and it came Ooh. in a very flat uh, cardboard folder, essentially. Um, and the poster is bent quite a bit. So um, I've got oh, it no. flattening, but uh, I can't throw it away. It's signed by Edward Berger. <laughs> I'll put it right next <laughs> to my uh, signed poster of Sunset Boulevard, Joey. From the musical, say, uh, not to uh, fucking hate you. Um, there is not to divert attention away from what we're talking about. But um, when I was I was in New York this last weekend, as both of you guys know, the people listen to know that. And my I met up with my old roommate Chelsea at the Museum of Broadway, and I will admit that I thought it was going to be really stupid because. I mean, I study theater, I have a degree in theater, whatever, blah blah blah. I thought this was going to be for like. A grandma from Montana who knows nothing about how theater works. And I thought it started off that way. Um, But then you got to go through a lot of the exhibits and there's a lot of really cool historical like costumes or set pieces. Like they have the original Annie costume like framed on a wall. Um, But I guess they don't really like musical Annie because it's like right next to like a fire extinguisher or something like that. Um, But there were so many... um, Things that I was like, this is the, the Faggy Oceans movie. Like there's... There's like Glenn Close costumes from Sunset Boulevard. There's like Patty Lapone's. There's so many things that were donated from like Patty Lapone's private collection 
Um, but there are so many like costumes worn by like Laura Linney. Like that's that's a gay oceans movie right there. If you were <laughs> trying to break in and steal the costumes. Yeah, the amount of costumes I went through um and took pictures of. There were there were tons of them. There was a lot of really cool stuff there. I wasn't I wasn't I, I feel bad for saying that, but it was it was actually really kind of fun. Um excellent. Well, I'm uh, again sorry that I am unable to attend your Oscar party. Um oh, no, Thank you for inviting me. I did appreciate the invitation. Oh. It was, it, it, as I told you, it arrived on a very bad day and it made it actually really brightened <laughs> my day. I'm not even Aww. kidding. <laughs> All right. Um, glitter on the back. Glitter on the back. Yes. All right. So, uh, but before we launch into that, as I mentioned, um, I do want to talk about the infamous 1989 Oscars ceremony. And, um, Instead of just kind of walking through it or uh, verbally discussing it, what I'd like to do is, and I know our listeners can't see this, but I would like to share the um, the ceremony or the opening of the ceremony with you both here on Zoom as we're recording and, and have the audio running as well so that listeners can hear. Um, because I'd never actually seen it before. And again, I'm reading uh, the book Oscar Wars by Michael Shulman, which also mentions um, Sasha Stone in it um (laughs) branded uh sasha stone film school dropout (laughs) oh i'm sure she loves that she was uh you know she takes it in stride for sure yeah um but uh so this book goes into great lengths to talk about this ceremony because it is currently acclaimed as the worst oscar ceremony ever in the history of the Oscars. Now, do I think that's probably, I mean, we're still talking about it 30 years later. How many Oscar ceremonies do we talk about? Or do, do people immediately think of when they think of Oscar ceremonies? Yeah. Not that many, right? I'm sure that there were really, really boring ones that nobody talks about, but at least people are still talking about this. But, um, before we go into it, I do want to cue it up. So this was produced by Alan Carr, who was a, an infamous, um, uh, producer who produced Grease and Grease 2, um, as well as they, there was another uh, film that was of relative note, um, who was mercurial, had a uh, fantastic sense of humor, but also a really bitchy streak, uh, could be incredibly mean if he if you upset him. Um, he wore caftans and paraded around Hollywood and, and Rodeo Drive. He had Lots of big ideas for this ceremony. And this is actually his life's goal. Like he call, thanked the, uh, the, the the president of the academy at this time, thanked him because this was his life's dream, was to be able to produce this ceremony. Um, and of course, it ended up being an infamous disaster. And he was completely blackballed from Hollywood. And uh, he... Um, it just became a very ugly situation for him. It became addicted to pills after this. So, um, which I think is incredibly unfair, uh, to pin all of this on him. But, um, at any rate, what I want to do is walk through it and kind of walk through a couple of scenes and, and discuss them with you as you watch along with me. So you guys ready? Yeah. Okay. So I am going to share and hopefully... The, uh, the share computer sound is on. If you do not hear this, oops, if you do not, did you hear the sound? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
All right. So just to cue it up for our viewers, and of course you can watch along um, at home, but uh, we have Army Archard who was a, he was variety, right? I think he was a variety columnist. Um, anyway, we have Army Archard uh, standing in front of a gaudily adorned uh, door to the ballroom where the, or the auditorium where the Oscars are held, standing in between two Oscar statues and uh, he is introducing the show. So at this point, it's been 8 o'clock or 8.30 or whatever time it started. Uh, people are tuning in, and here is Army Archard uh, and a special guest. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's one of the great legends of Hollywood. She's back with us tonight, Miss Snow White. Good evening. Oh, good evening, Mr. Archard. It is so exciting to be oh. here tonight. I'm a little late, though. Can you tell me how to get into the theater? That's easy, Snow. Just follow the Hollywood stars. Follow the Hollywood stars? Oh, follow the Hollywood stars! Okay, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> okay. Um, so that, uh, that actress, uh, her name is uh, Eileen Bowman, um, and she was 22. Uh, she was handpicked, and there's a whole bizarre story. I, I highly recommend that people read the book. You might want to skip through some sections that perhaps aren't as interesting to you, but at least read this section because it talks about the clandestine process that she went through to audition for this. She actually didn't know what she was auditioning for until about two weeks uh, before the ceremony. Um, number one mistake here was that the Academy did not clear the usage of Snow White um, for this ceremony. And Disney was not pleased, particularly with the negative reaction that happened uh, following the ceremony. But I have to give it was to her. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was no, saying, no, was this before? Was this before or after Rob Lowe had scandals too? That was that came just after this. That was part okay. of the problem. Was um, Rob Lowe had his sex tape in May of that year, and this was in March. Um, and every time somebody would talk about it, they would say Rob Lowe most recently seen uh, Dancing with Snow White at the Academy Awards. <laughs> <laughs> So that was, okay. you know, um, the other thing that I'll comment on, uh, and I know we've only watched like 30 seconds, but the other thing that I'll comment on is um, when it says follow the Hollywood stars, there's actually uh, actresses or dancers in black leggings and a star costume where you do not see any of their body. Like you, you only see, it look, basically looks like stars with legs, gold lame stars wearing gold tap shoes. Um the first thing that I thought when I saw this was, oh, so this is where the Simpsons got all of their material for Hollywood <laughs> award shows. Because <laughs> this looks yeah. like a yeah, live action does. Simpsons episode. Or it looks, like, it looks like something from like the critic. Yes. Yes. Or so, some sort of satire of yeah. Family Guy. Yeah. Um, what did you guys think of, of that opening right there? Um, well, I had watched a little bit of this. I think it's actually like just seeing... Um, I've watched more than just the 30 seconds and actually I think that the like the dancing and everything is really impressive but the up up until the the stars stuff is it is really cheesy and weird very very cheesy and weird um uh, you know gotta make a woman ask for directions <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that and it's <laughs> The other thing that I found really weird, and you'll hear this as we go through it, is people keep referring to her as Snow. Yeah, yeah I didn't know that was what they referred to her as. I, I didn't either, and I don't think I've ever heard. I mean, it's always just been Snow White, but everyone just calls her Snow as if it's like, hey, Jane. 
it's, it's weird. It's weird. So I'm, well, it's um, Hollywood. They call Robert De Niro Bobby. If you're in Hollywood, true. she's no. Oh. All right. Um, I'm going to hit play here so we can continue. But right now what we're opening on is uh, the camera has gone into the auditorium and now we're focusing on the stage, which is festooned with dancing stars. And a tepidly applauding audience. right there um so what what she's done is she's coming to the auditorium and in the book they talk about uh she i don't know if she did an interview she must have done some kind of interview with the author or he pulled this information from somewhere else but she she talks about going into the auditorium and she was told to find certain people the people that she were, were told to find were actually not in the auditorium they were in the bar the bathroom whatever and there were seat fillers there and they said the number one thing you do not do is approach Robin Williams because he will make it a gimmick. <gasps> and oh, no. who's the first person that she sees? <laughs> oh Robin my God. Williams. And so she kind of freaks out. She talks about freaking out and she runs away from him immediately because she was looking for Kevin Klein. And from the backs of their heads, Robin Williams and Kevin Klein look a lot alike. <laughs> Even um, though he's like a foot shorter than him. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Um, she runs up to Michelle Pfeiffer and you don't see this, but that is Michelle Pfeiffer, long blonde hair, uh, in the front row. And she grabs Michelle Pfeiffer's hand. Michelle Pfeiffer was just incredibly embarrassed. She said she couldn't even look at her in the face. The thing that I just paused it is, uh, she had grabbed Tom Hanks's hand and he was like bewildered. I He's saw that. This. So she went, reached for Sigourney Weaver's hand and Sigourney Weaver had her hand on her face and she quickly put her hand in her lap and took it away from her. Oh my god! This poor girl. Yeah, Jesus. I felt horrible for this girl. Anyway, sorry, Joy. Go ahead. Oh no, that's all. It's just like ooh. Um, so let me just keep playing here. In the annual Oscar parade, yes, we only have stars for you. Good evening, and welcome to the sixty-first. Academy Awards. It's so exciting to be back in Tinseltown. I've missed it so. I remember the movie premieres at Grauman's Chinese Theater and the wonderful star sitting parties at the Coconut Grove. Why, I have so many wonderful, wonderful memories <laughs> of my <laughs> like how do they not cut so what's happened now is again i'm just describing for our listeners they've they've pulled back the curtains and it's a onstage recreation of the infamous coconut grove which was a nightclub in the 30s and 40s in hollywood 
um, at the Ambassador Hotel, I think, which is where Robert F. Kennedy was shot. And seated around this room are stars of yesteryear, like Roy Rogers and Dale Evans and Sid Charisse, um, and a couple of other people that I didn't even recognize. And the thing that I found funny about this is um, I'm not even sure that any of these people were nominated for Oscars. I'm not sure oh why gosh. they're there. <laughs> it's like this random assortment of people. As I'm um, watching this, I keep thinking about like what would happen if this came, if they did this today, like Twitter would have a meltdown. But I also think that that's, this is exactly what the shows are lacking now. They're so afraid to do anything mm-hmm. out there that they are so reserved and boring. <laughs> I actually uh, agree. They don't take chances. I mean, everybody makes fun of the sixties when I think it was the year of uh, the lion and winter where they had a, an actual fashion show for the costumes. Oh God, that was great. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that shit. Now all they do is they basically show sketches, but you, you know, I mean, do something, get people in costumes. I mean, you don't have to have a fashion show where they're doing like disco dances and, and groovy dancing down the, the aisle that done that at, at not at all matched the uh, tone of the film, but um, bring people on stage wearing those costumes. That would be awesome. Just let, let us see them in motion. I think that would be something different, something colorful, something visual that is more yeah. than just here's a sketch of Elvis's, you know, uh, eagle uh, jumpsuit, you know, yeah. or something like that. You know, I, I just think that's that's preferable. Um, I don't know that I'm going to go through this. This this is a long. It's 11 minutes long. Um, this intro. I'm not going to go through every single minute of this, but I'm going to I'm going to bop through the coconut grove sequence. They do stop. I did think the dancing was really good. Like I was. It looks like you're watching a Broadway show. Yes. Um, yes. The dancing that the stars do. Like even some of them are quite old, and they still have got it. Like Sid Charisse is. She's fantastic here. But it's just it's it's random. It's very random. And and Mel Torme introduces it singing I um I have a lovely bunch of coconuts in a British accent. No, not Mel Torme. It's um no, it's not Mel Torme. Uh, uh Merv Griffin. It's Merv Griffin. Why? I do love how. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why? Like, I would what? say I love how it. When Snow White goes to change, she's like memories, and her, her face just looks like she's like sadistic when she starts saying <laughs> memories like oh my god i just got triggered by something like like i'm an i'm a cia operative that just had a, a switch flipped inside me or something <laughs> um all right i think i'm gonna pick up here i've got a lovely bunch of coconuts oh, here we go <laughs> they are standing in a row Big one, small one, something as big as your head. Okay, I'm kind of obsessed with this whole thing. I am too. I'm sorry, Lee. Good evening and welcome to the fabulous Coconut Grove, where every night is exciting. Meet the stars, Mr. Buddy Rogers. He almost believed that. And it involves people. It involves people. I love this. It involves people, but randomly. Just again with like the Oscar yearbook they do every like 20, 15 years, you know, when they bring all the Make them dance. Snow White has to come in and do a full dance number. Here they are. 
Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Oh, and this is terrible direction here. Watch. The camera almost immediately cuts away from them. <laughs> right when terrible. they get to the heavens Isn't portal it? here on Earth for this poor mortal, Vincent Price and Coral Brown. Isn't it exciting, Snow? Isn't it thrilling? It gets better. Meet your blind date. <laughs> She's about to have an air. Rob Lowe. I wish this oh. was going to happen this next day. Oh, Mr. Lowe, I'm such a fan. Really? Well, I'm a big fan of yours, Snow, but you know, there's so much I'd like to know about you. To work a lot for Walt Disney. <laughs> Starring cartoons no every no night sad. and day. No, none at all. But you said goodbye to Grumpy and Sleepy. Hey. Left the dwarves behind, came to town to stay. Big lights keep on burning. Candles keep on turning. One thing that I, um, (laughs) what sent me into like orbit when I realized this was that the tables that the stars of yesteryear are sitting at are actually people. I was looking at that in the comments. (gasps) Yes. And they're going to get up and dance here in a little bit. (laughs) It's the dancing tables that got me. Why? 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 <laughs> <laughs> Many reasons why Snow White is canceled. Why Proud Mary? I don't know. I know this is before What's Love got to do with it, but this is why Angela Bassett lost it. She's dancing like Tina Turner. Uh, I swear I thought, so these are the Coconut Grove dancers who are wearing some sort of drink on their head. I thought this person was a drag queen. There goes the tables. Yes, they're the tables. <laughs> this is where Disney got excited for the idea of the stage version of Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> As you can see, it goes on for quite a while. That's part one. (laughs) Yes. Robert Downey Jr. is not. Devil Shepherd! That's officially camp. It wasn't camp before they showed the little shepherd in the audience. Enjoying herself. So then there's... Um, I don't remember this part. 
Yeah, there's there's uh, Grauman's Chinese Theater recreated. They removed the coconut grove. Um, they sing another song. I don't remember what the song is. It's like a play, like an eleven minute play. Yeah. Where where you Snow White meets Rob Lowe. Oh yeah, the uh, the um, chorus line of former stars, not stars, but the the uh, dancers that were in the star costumes are now in uh, um, theater usher outfits. Okay. <laughs> What'd you say, Megan? No, nothing. Okay. So um, God, I love it. So there's a kick line. They do a, a really long kick line here. I'm just gonna blip through this. Um, oh, and then Snow White returns, and she's wearing Grauman's Chinese on her head. Oh, it's not Snow White. It's a different Snow White. It's not her. That costume's amazing. The production design is, is quite impressive. I just yeah. have won some kind of thing. Like, just put the... The costumes and the uh, and the stage. Um, all right, I'm gonna blur, blur it past that, and then randomly at the very end, here comes Lily. Why? <laughs> because that middle wouldn't do it. And she has just quote unquote lost her shoe in a totally intentional gag that made no sense whatsoever. Well, I told them I'd be thrilled to do the Oscars if they could just come up with an entrance. Oh my God, I love that guy. And think of it, more than a billion and a half people just watched that. Oh God. (laughs) And at this very moment, they're trying to make sense of it. And in how many different languages, it's mind boggling. I knew it was going to happen one day. The whole planet has gone Hollywood. So pull up a seat and be prepared to spend the next few hours sitting on the edge of it. And welcome to the shoe show. We'll be right back. Wow. They went so, to commercial right away. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it's 11 minutes. They can't. I mean, I guess there's a timing. Oh, my God. Element. So 11 minutes. Can you minutes. imagine how pissed everybody would be if today if like and we don't have time to say best supporting actor or actress like <laughs> oh my god so um you both said that you were obsessed with this <laughs> after watching it so what did you guys think i think actually like i said before it takes risks that we don't take anymore like i kind of liked it that it was uh i mean would, would we probably make fun of it if it were on yeah, yeah but i think but I think it would also be like, it's kind of, I mean, it's better than Jimmy Kimmel. I'm sorry. No offense to Jimmy Kimmel, but um, it's, I, I love that it felt like you were in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's, it's an, it's definitely camp, right? I mean, Joey, you said that. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. It's a hundred percent camp. And I think this was like, we can look back on it and we can think, oh my God, this is, you know, fantastic because we're accustomed to camp. Camp has become more culturally acceptable, but we have to go back to 1989. You know, nobody understood what camp was outside of, you know, gay clubs, Mm -hmm. you know, all that. But, um, 
now it's it's part of pop culture and now i think we crave some sort of spectacle on this level i think you're right because i think that's maybe that's why we're reacting to it so differently because we understand that it's all a joke even though the, the whole snow white thing doesn't quite make sense you <laughs> know it's also kind of ridiculous that like it becomes i mean she ends up a girl you know um on a journey that ends with her carrying Grauman's theater on her head like that doesn't even make any sense <laughs> but the design and everything was beautiful like the costumes were great like you felt like you were watching like a broadway show that made no sense but like but it, the the quality was really exceptional. Yeah, and um, go ahead, Joey. I mean, this that's a good example of something that um, I wish the Oscars would just stop trying to fix stuff and go ball to, balls to the wall, like just batshit crazy. Do whatever you want to do. Like, you don't see the... Um, like the um the Tony Awards don't care. Maybe that's because they know, you know, the Tony Awards. Nobody really watches them. But it's it's uh I don't know, like they're so self-conscious about everything. I wish they would do something that is big and huge and their goal was to solely get people to talk about it whether it's good or bad. Because in the last like two or okay, if you think about last year everybody talked about the slap, everybody talked about the, how the Oscars felt irrelevant the year before because of COVID. But, like, a good thing that happened the year before was something like Parasite winning. So, I mean, like, I don't know. More glitter, more crap, more gaudy shit. Who can they bring back this time? Um, Elsa, you can sing something about... <laughs> <laughs> no, they will not know. be bringing anything back from Disney. I can guarantee you that. Uh, even though Disney... And this was before Disney owned ABC, by the way. Um, yeah. I assumed that this was aired on... That that aired on ABC. Um, the years at 1986, Oscar 89. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we've lost, you know, the year that, uh, David Letterman hosted and people were talking about how awful the Oprah Uma joke was, but we, we, we don't even have anything like that anymore. It's become so safe. It's become so sanitized. And yes, I think to do a spectacle like that is entertainment for the audience at home. Um, but it, you have to realize that these people who profess not to care about the Oscars, mostly except for Michelle Yeoh, um, they say they don't care. Uh, they a hundred percent care and they treat this very seriously and they don't want, and at least at that point, they didn't want gay camp, um, in their ceremony. That's so interesting. They, they just want awards. They just want to get to the awards, but it's, it is also a show. And this is, I think at least in the last 20 years, this is what the Oscars, Oscars have always struggled between is entertainment for the room, a business for the room and entertainment for home. And I don't think it, it can ever, I don't think it's successfully navigated those two things in a long time. I mean, I, you know, Billy Crystal hosted for nine years and almost every year he introduced him, he inserted himself into clips from movies and that was funny as hell. <laughs> yeah. Remember the year yeah. he rolled out on the, um, on the Hannibal Lecter um, dolly. Oh, that was so good. Or when uh, Whoopi Goldberg came wearing the uh, Elizabethan gown and said she was the original African queen. 
She was so good too. Like between her and Billy, they were like the two best, I think. People just don't take chances like that anymore. And I, while I think, yes, this is a gaudy mess. And if you have lyrics in songs, like whenever you're down in the dumps, just try on Judy's red pumps. That is not good. <laughs> <laughs> but it's memorable. I know a large quantity of men that would say it does. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I'm, I'm, uh, hopefully you guys didn't mind and our listeners don't mind me dragging them through all of that. But I just, no. I found it really fascinating. I, I think, um, I think this, this, uh, it's standing the test of time in a way that perhaps no, uh, I would wager to say no other Oscar ceremony has with the exceptions of the ones where giant mistakes have been made, like Faye Dunaway reading the wrong name for the best picture winner, that kind of thing, or the streaker, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, it should have been better. There should have been better lyrics. It should have made some kind of thematic sense other than it would be really fun to see Snow White with Grumman's Chinese on her head. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm afraid that this and its legacy has sanitized the Oscars forever. So anyway, but we'll see what happens this week, or at least you guys will. I probably won't be able to watch the shows. Um, you're right. missing the Oscar. I am missing the Oscars completely. I'll be in the, uh, I will be in an airplane. Oh my gosh. I didn't realize that that was the case. Oh my gosh. I did not realize that March 12th was the Oscars uh, when I booked my airline tickets. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. So I'll, I'll record it at home, but I may not even care by the time I get back, <laughs> particularly if um, I have to watch someone blubber on stage. Then yeah. I definitely won't be watching it. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you for, uh, uh, and during my uh, aside there, um, Megan, why don't you uh, take us into our main topic, which is Amazon Prime's Daisy Jones and the Six. Sure. So Daisy Jones and the Six is the new limited series on Amazon Prime. And it's based on um, Taylor Jenkins Reid's book from um, night, from 2018 uh, that was kind of, this like massive hit that Reese Witherspoon picked scooped up the rights to like, I think before the book even came out and, um, and it's a, it's loosely based on Fleetwood Mac. And I read somewhere that, or it's Taylor Jenkins Reid. I think I did that wrong. I think I said Reed Jenkins, Taylor Jenkins Reid, um, that she was obsessed with Fleetwood Mac's the dance and the way that Stevie and Lindsay looked at each other on stage and that she kind of like wrote this book based on knowing that like, I think there was something still going on with them at the time. And she wrote this book kind of based on not like, oh, the look on stage, but just like putting a history to uh, an iconic band. And um, so that's what this is. It's, this is this one is not, you know, exactly based on Fleetwood Mac, but it's about kind of these two emerging artists that were like come together uh, to form Daisy Jones and the Six, and they uh, reach this height of superstardom, but there is also drugs and um, affairs and emotional affairs, I'd say, and more going on. Um, I personally, so when I first started watching this, and I was reading the book at the same time, 
And I really, really dug, I was digging the book and then I started watching it and I was like, oh, this is, I don't like some of the changes they made. The first two or three episodes, I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to like that. Like the first two episodes, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. And I was like kind of bummed out. And then as in my review, I wrote that like in the third episode, it kind of just clicks when when Daisy and Billy meet. That's Riley Keough and Sam Claflin. And it, it, all of a sudden, it's kind of like, okay, now we're off. Now it's it's all happening, as I said. Um, and I think that it continues to get better with each episode. I know I've read some reviews that uh, people were saying that it's too bloated and they could have been shorter and I, and I could agree with some of that and, and I understand a lot of the criticism of the show that I've read that like you know it doesn't really get the 70s vibe I saw New York Times was saying that like the creators were born in the like after the fact that this came out so they shouldn't kind of kind of admonishing them that they shouldn't be like kind of stay in your lane but I think because this is a fictional um a fictional band, you could kind of have some looseness with it. The same way like Babylon with, with Damien Chazelle um, had some looseness with the time period. But um, I, yeah, I've really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed the series. I, I said it as the first great limited series of the year. And I believe that I think it's so much fun to watch by the end of it. I was so invested in, in all of the characters and also, I think I think this could be a big hit because uh, Daisy Jones and the Six are the first fictional band to hit number one on iTunes. So that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, I just downloaded. The, what did you uh, guys think? I just downloaded the soundtrack. Um, Soundtrack's really good. Yeah, I I really like the songs so far. I have only watched three episodes, um, and I think I texted you and said. You know, I didn't know that the the person who wrote the book based it off of, you know, loosely, very loosely based it off Fleetwood Mac. But I, I texted you that um, I thought this is the uh, Fleetwood Mac biopic that we'll probably never get. <laughs> That's it, exactly it, what I was thinking the whole entire time I was watching it. Yeah. And it's it's I love the vibe. It's a very almost famousy vibe as well, um, which is one of my all time favorite movies. So. I I was into the first episode. Um, the second episode spins its wheels a little bit. I think it 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 just it's it needs to get us to another point, and I think it it is logically taking its own time. The second episode kind of didn't do it for me, but the third episode is absolutely when it clicks, and it's I'm very excited to see the rest of the series. Joey. Um, I liked it. I I think it took me a little while to get into it. I think. Have you seen, how when, many episodes have you seen? Just out of curiosity, I've seen three. Okay. Um, I think when it gets to the connection between Sam Claflin and Riley Keough, I think it. I think it's sort of. Uh, I sound cheesy, but I feel like it's sort of a very magical kind of just moment there between them. I mean, he doesn't like her. He doesn't like what she's doing. She doesn't like what she's there to do. Um, And she just really is there to create and perform. And I feel like a really big hole with her. I'm a big fan of her in general. When I was in New York, we went to a taping of Seth Meyers and she was one of the guests. 
and she's so beautiful uh in person she's very soft and she um it was she actually if you guys haven't seen it she tells a really funny story about how she doesn't know anything despite her like family's background um she doesn't know she's not a musician she had to like learn all this stuff and she she told some story about because sam claflin doesn't know it either and she said she was relieved she's like oh my god you're worse than i am so that's fine (laughs) um that interview was really good, but it's, it's, um, I, I had a little bit of trouble getting into it when it's solely focused on Sam Claflin's character. Um, I feel like we get a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of like, redemp- he's, they're sort of asking us to go along with this, like, he has to, you know, redeem himself to get to the next step. Um, but I feel like that's a lot to sort of ask from the audience right in the second episode. Um, but anytime that they're together, it's just, you know, she is on screen. I'm very, very, very drawn in. And I'm, I'm also incredibly attracted to all the men that are in the band. <laughs> they have a lot of the chemistry. dark hair and the mustache. Yeah, they have a lot of chemistry, and it sort of feels like this, you know, borderline voyeuristic, you know, you know, you're, there's a montage of them smoking weed in a bus as they're driving around. It's not something that I, it's not a revolutionary thing. It's not like I haven't seen this a million times before, um, but it's enjoyable. It's very enjoyable, and the music's really, really good, so I didn't realize the album's not so I'm going to I think like what this show is doing, like I do think that this is something that should be unfilmable because you're trying to, it's kind of the same way a star was born, did something really special with that music that is so good. And you can, I mean, it became a phenomenon. Like, do I think that Daisy Jones and the sixes album will become a phenomenon? Like a star is born. Probably not, but I think the songs are really strong and they're catchy and, for a television series to do that uh, is really, it's just, um, I just think it's really awesome that they were able to do that. And um, not many shows could do that. I mean, I think personally, this, as you see more and more, I think this show feels more authentic than something like Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Like, but I think, it. but it's a, like, oh, God. this is a, but this shouldn't be, this shouldn't feel that way. Like, I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody is an Oscar winning film. And I just think like the fact that I, I, I get mad reading some of the criticism of the show because people have been really mean. Um, but, but I think it's actually doing some really amazing things and it's really underrated and the performances really only get better. And Riley Keough is like, I want her to be at least nominated for an Emmy because I think she's just so fantastic. She is, she is really, really good. And, um, I think part of the, uh, the reason that I loved that third episode so much is you, you watch the, you get to see the process and there's something really fun about this. And if they ever make a movie about Fleetwood Mac, I hope they make it about the rumors album that they don't try to do a, a cradle to grave sort of Bohemian Rhapsody approach to it, that they really focus on that period of their life. Um, because there's there's something about the creation of a song. There's something about finding those two artists working together, finding their rhythms, finding you know, and they're taking that that dislike that they had of each other initially and channeling that into their passion and channeling that into their music. 
there's something about watching that process take place that I found intoxicating. Oh, say, well, yeah. Can I ask a question for Megan? Cause you've seen, you've seen the whole thing, right? Yes. Okay. The, the thing that I think is actually interesting in terms of watching those two characters uh, together is for me anyway, watching somebody realize that in order to collaborate and to sort of be artistically successful with other people, you have to sacrifice. So the, the scenes where they're, they're singing together, um, I think that's why I was so tapped into that. So if, can you tell me, does that, is that sort of a, a thread throughout the show? Like them giving pieces of themselves in their music or sacrifice. Yeah. So sort of like, sort of having to like, um, you know, I, I hate things that are about music where it's like, as soon as they type, as soon as they bang something, I was like, yeah, it's great. And all of a sudden it comes a huge hit and this is that, but if it's more about like the, process, Oh, it is about the process because they do talk a lot about like, um, I mean, even they mentioned that with the honeycomb song, how, you know, the song wasn't as good and it wasn't as good. Yeah. I also love how the music in the beginning is not as good. That was one of the things that really struck me. I was like, Oh God, I hate their music like both of their bands like i hated her music i hated his music <laughs> like i hated the duns and i thought oh how am i going to watch this but then that's what the the magic part you talk about is that when they do come together you're like oh this sounds amazing like mm -hmm. this sounds really good um because they, they do match so well together but yeah they they end up i think in the episodes that'll probably be dropped i think tomorrow the fourth episode is when they start collaborating on music together and and they start figuring out, um, you know, well, I don't like that you do this. And I don't like that you do that. And it is a, a lot of figuring things out. And it, it reminded me a lot. It's so weird that I read that Fleetwood Mac book about the making of rumors before reading this book and watching this series because they go hand in hand so well together. Because um, it really does. I think this this series does do a really great job of showing people actually working on on the music even though in the beginning i was like oh she's scribbling in her notebook okay you know but when they actually like in the middle of it the the heart of the show um they really do show like show what what it would be like i i think and um and i the other thing i like about it is um how it's kind of a form of therapy for them too that like you know getting these you know exposing yourself um in these songs and then having to sing it every day, every night, and like basically reliving your horror of like that relationship over and over again, which is another theme of Fleetwood Mac, you know, and 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 rumors and Daisy and Daisy Jones and the Six. So I find that all. I just think there's a lot more going on than people are giving it credit for, and and especially with music and being an artist. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. I um. I'm very excited to finish the rest of it. Again, I've, I've, I've kind of just been, I'm watching it with my wife. She is really into it because she loves that kind of music, that sort of 70s singer-songwriter vibe. And um, so we're watching it, not screeners, but as it drops on uh, on Amazon because we, we, we desperately It's a wanna, blast. Yeah, it is. And I desperately want to get back to watching TV once a week instead of just binging it yeah. once. <laughs> it's Me too. too. Me too. Um. You know, oh, I would. Although I will say, I loved binging it. 
It was, I couldn't wait. I was like, oh, I'll just watch one. And then I'd be like, I've got to catch the next one. So, um, and I don't, I don't like to binge. You know me. I like to do one thing, one episode at a time. But I really love this one. I do think it, uh, not because it's it's not a particularly strong year for limited series. I do think it, it, it could hit a chord. Um, and we could see something at the Emmys for this, um, particularly with Riley Keough. Um, because there's a lot in the press about Elvis right now. And, uh, um, you know, for those who don't know, she is Elvis's granddaughter. So, um, you know, I, I think there's a narrative there for her. And she's excellent in the show. I do think it's funny how, too, like, there was so much negative stuff out at first. Like, there's some positive stuff, but a lot of negative press. But now I'm starting to see the tide starting to turn because... You know, it was the number one, they're the number one band on iTunes and stuff. And it's like, oh, maybe we should pay attention a little bit. I I see this show being a hit series. I don't, I'm hoping, Riley, I would love to see it get some Emmy love, but I do think it's going to be a hit. This, I think this is a show that uh, people will be very passionate about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, obviously something like this and something like, say, Station 11 from last Emmy cycle, people were very, 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 very passionate about that. And of the, the limited series that I've seen so far, this is a show that is debuting early in the year that will end way before like the summer even you know, comes around. And so keep, maybe this will be a show that if even if it feels like it dies down, because a lot of other flashy star studded stuff comes in, maybe you know the passion behind it will push it forward more. So who knows? And I uh, we haven't talked about her here, but I do like um, Suki Waterhouse. Kind of has the Christine McVie role. <laughs> um, she does, and she's really really good in it too. I mean, she's not in it that much in the first couple of episodes, and she's she's kind of the the background figure that has the witty asides or makes you know kind of cuts through the bullshit of the, uh, of the band itself, the people, the family that's sort of at the center of the band and, and, uh, calls things for what it is, but she's, she's very good at it. I like her. Do you, do you want to hear who the voices were in the audible book? Cause I sure. think you'll love it. So, uh, Daisy Jones is, um, Oh, flash dance. What's her name? Jennifer Beals. Uh, um, and she does such an amazing job. um, Pa- Pablo Schreiber is Billy. Uh-huh. And um, you'll love... Okay, so this is why... I, Suki Waterhouse does a great job, but I cannot... My Karen is Judy Greer, because that's the voice of Karen in the book, Judy Greer. <laughs> and then you'll laugh at this, though. Graham Dunn, is his voice is Benjamin Bratt. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's so random. But I, I kept waiting for this quirky, like best friend kind of Karen and you know it's the Christine McVie British Karen which is fine but um it's she's so different in the book uh, the audible at least so excellent so um this is uh certainly something that we'll be watching throughout the season and Joey and I will catch up and finish the remainder of the series we do have three more episodes dropping on Friday or tomorrow as you're listening to this podcast and uh and we'll go from there. I want That's your fine. opinions sent straight to me, please. Text <laughs> messages welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to send you a minute by minute. <laughs> the credits are up. The Patty, the Patty Smith Group's opening theme is coming. <laughs> <laughs>
There's Riley Keough's name. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, I do want to mention that Camilla Marone is really good in it too. Um, she gets to oh, do yeah, a really lot good. of. She's really good. Um, yes, and I think her role, um, as you can see. Oh, and I love uh, Nabia B as Simone Jackson, which her she her character is really um, just a side character in the book, but they really flesh her out in the in the show, and she. I just love. By the end of it, I would just love her and Daisy's relationship. I yes, it, it's it's got a lot of great uh, a, a great stuff in it. So highly recommended. Don't listen to um, don't listen to some of those haters. So please do. And I'd love to see what our uh, number one fan uh, Rick Friel thinks. About I know. Yes. And we do have to bring him on Rick. We're calling out to you. We do have to bring him on and have that, uh, mm-hmm. crash course on Fleetwood Mac for Joey. Yes. And this kind of made me want to do that more. Okay. <laughs> um, let's move to the flash forward to the media. We're most anticipating in the upcoming week and Joey, you go first and you can steal my film, uh, selection. Cause I'm sure this is the same thing you're most looking forward to. So please go ahead. I'm seeing Scream tomorrow. <laughs> um, you know, about Scream 6, I liked the trailer despite my reservations towards it. And then I stumbled upon something online that if what is detailed, what, what the actual plot is of Scream 6, it's going to be fucking awful. And... Um, I'm a little nervous, but uh, optimistic. So I'm looking forward to Scream 6 tomorrow. I'm seeing it tomorrow. Um, and then still catching up on some Oscar movies. I'm still determined to watch everything for Sunday. I'm doing the sign of the cross, even though I'm not religious, and my fingers start to burn because I'm a giant homosexual. Um, in terms of uh, TV, um, I have screeners to uh, up here, which I know nothing about it. I know they dropped the trailer, but I haven't seen it. The only thing I know is that Katie Finneran, uh, she's a, mostly a stage actress. She is in it, set in 1999. It's a comedy series. I'm down for that. And then I didn't realize until I think yesterday, and I messaged Clarence, that I have screeners to the new Catherine Hahn show, Tiny Beautiful Things. Um, which looks really sad. Um, but, it does look sad. But I still think, like, I'm sorry, I'm going to, like, Catherine Hahn, to me, is up, is really getting up there in terms of, like, adoration, like, getting up there towards, like, anything she does. She can do a Campbell soup commercial farting on a snare drum, and I would be like, okay. Um, <laughs> what kind of commercial is that? I don't know. <laughs> like, don't eat the competitors. You'll end up like this. There, that's it. That's the artistic vision. Um, <laughs> just obsessed with her. And then um, I had thought the trailer for The History of the World Part Two looked funny. Um, but then I saw that other people were watching it, and they say that it is funny. So uh, I'm excited to check that out. Stars. Lots of stars. Like on the 1989 Oscar ceremony. So many stars. <laughs> and also, I'm sure everybody can look forward. No one else listening has a flash forward. They can look forward to my probable epic meltdown on Sunday night, whether it be from the, something going wrong. You stole my 
right, what I was looking forward to. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Not that fun looking forward to. Uh, Megan. Um, I am looking forward to this week. Um, oh, of course, Joey's meltdown. Um, because I will be there for that. Um, I'm excited to see Joey too, since we haven't seen each other in a while. So, and we're gonna have our dogs reunite and hopefully not kill each other. Um, my my dog got me too the other day. I forgot to mention this that we were on a walk and he sniffed the other dog's crotch and the dog did not like it and started to attack him. And I was like, Do I have do I have a Harvey Weinstein dog? I was really oh. upset about it. Um, but anyway, um, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the Challenge World Championship, which is on Paramount Plus because I'm a huge back on the challenge. Totally into it. Love it. You were never off um, the challenge. I was. I didn't watch it for like 15 years. Um, Farmer Wants a Wife on Fox looks kind of good. Um, and the plane that disappeared, the MH3, MH370 oh, Netflix documentary, which I guess some people thought it was like didn't know it was a documentary and they thought it was a new manifest show. And I'm like, guys, this did not happen that long ago. Like, come on. Um, that looks interesting, but I'm also kind of scared to see it. Um, RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, back to 90 Minutes. Yeah. Oh, is that this week that it starts? That's this week, yeah. Okay. Um, that and not seeing Scream 6. This is the first one that I will not be seeing in the theater, but I do know who the killers are. <laughs> How do you know that? Because of the leak. Oh, okay. I, that's why I'm seeing it tomorrow, like the minute I get out of work. The leak happened like two weeks ago. I immediately was like, I've got to find this out because I don't want to see this movie. And I'm glad because it's stupid. Okay. And the Academy Awards. That's the other thing. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, I'm looking forward to Scream. Um, I'm going, I'm going to be offline from Monday to next Saturday, completely without any connection to the real world. So, uh, it could, we, I could come back to the last of us and, uh, I will never know, but that's okay. <laughs> um, I mean the actual zombie apocalypse, I don't mean the show. Um, <laughs> I am, uh, very much looking forward to scream. My son is coming home, uh, because it is just spring break. So we're going to go see scream with my daughter on uh, Saturday. And, um, while I was looking at my phone, uh, during our conversation here, I discovered that, um, iTunes is running a sale on, uh, best picture winners. And so they're like four bucks. Oh. So I bought all about Eve, which I've never seen. Uh, oh. And I bought uh, Shakespeare in Love um, because I have seen that, but um, hearing about it so much in this Oscar Wars book made me want to rewatch it. Um, and I bought one other one, uh, and it's escaping me at the moment. So I'm going to be watching these on the boat, the boat, uh, assuming the boot. it's not going to sink. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, oh, I bought uh, this is the, the last King's podcast ever. Yeah, could be. <laughs> Oh, uh, I also bought Catch Me If You Can, which is not an Oscar winner, but um, a lesser lesser regarded Spielberg that I want to revisit. That's, that's like the third, I'm not kidding. It's like the third or fourth time somebody in the last week has brought up Catch Me If You Can. And when I was in the hotel killing time before we went to go see something, I just randomly turned on the TV and Catch Me If You Can was on. And I hadn't seen it in forever. But then like two or three other people 
seriously since I got back on uh, Sunday have brought up Catch Me If You Can. So maybe I need to rewatch it. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely am feeling the, the need to rewatch that because there's, you know, there's no like real entertainment on the boat. It's all Disney stuff, and and I love Disney stuff, but I'm not watching Ant Man again. Because I know that's what's going to be playing on the boat 24 hours a day. And I'm not. Please watch it. <laughs> Please um, give us $5. No, it's free, but uh, um, they've already gotten my my uh, $20. It's like there's that. hidden fees in there. That's right. <laughs> well, I mean, free, quote unquote. It's an incredibly expensive cruise. But uh, <laughs> um, TV wise, my son's back. So that means we're diving back into Westeros and watching Game of Thrones uh, season five. The, where shit started getting crazy um and also want to continue daisy jones in the <laughs> six um and books wise i hope to finish oscar wars um which is now going from like the heady excitement of the saving private ryan versus uh, shakespeare in love and early weinstein stuff to the downer segment of it the chapter is literally called token and it's about hattie mcdaniel and um sydney poitier and uh, halle berry and now i get to feel awful for the next hundred pages <laughs> because people are bad the academy was bad <laughs> anyway movies are hollywood was bad back then maybe still is, but anyway <laughs> um and i will most likely not be watching the oscars but i will be watching twitter and uh i swear to god I'm just gonna light the candles now. Please let let Best Actor go the right way. Please. <laughs> um, anyway, let me know you guys did one thing right. Yes. <laughs> it's gonna happen. I'm sorry. No, it's gonna not. Win. I'm gonna no. I will. I will. I will be very. I like Brendan Fraser though. I'm okay with it. I, I don't. I'm not. You know, I'm not a fan of the movie, but I think. I'm okay with I'm him. Making you expose the code. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, we've talked about him before. I like Brendan Fraser yeah. as a person too. Absolutely. Do I think that that is yeah, the best performance by an actor this year? Absolutely not. It doesn't even belong in the top five. The guy from uh, All Quiet on the Western Front deserved the nomination more than he did. But, you know, Brendan Fraser has been through a lot. And, uh, and we all know that Oscars aren't necessarily about full-on quality of the work i know that a lot of people love this and i and i appreciate that i just personally can't stand it but that's okay we have differences of opinion and the better that, that people can learn to live with that the better off we'll all be i just personally don't want that to happen but that's okay if it does i'm not gonna hang myself or jump off the boat it's good then that you're not watching <laughs> i just don't want to see another speech Sorry, I just don't want yeah. to. Yeah. Well, when the sea levels rise on your ship because he doesn't stop crying, you want one. Global warming, oh Brendan Fraser crying. Who and, I <laughs> and I understand, like, of course, me, you know, comeback story, wonderful. If he gets yes. more movies from this, fantastic. I like Brendan Fraser. But, like, come on, man. Well, it, okay, see, it's the comeback narrative that really bothers me the most because comeback from what? I mean, he was in The Mummy. He's never been Oscar nominated before. He has been given serious material before, and he was and he had been proven that he didn't have the chops to cover it. So what is he coming back for? It's like Mickey Rourke for The Wrestler. You know, why do we have to give him an Oscar? Anyway, never mind. I loved him he... in that movie. I was a huge Mickey Rourke supporter. But um, I think I remember uh, 
Sean Penn won, and man yeah. was like, oh, I'm disappointed. And I was like, You like gay people, be happy, or something <laughs> like that. Is that what you said to me? Oh my God. I probably did. Let's get serious. Going on was this before the Great Muppet debate? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. The Great Muppet, <laughs> the Great Muppet Caper, and the Great Muppet Debate. <laughs> I remember distinctly where I was for many moments in historical history. I remember where I was when 9 11 happened, and I remember where I was when Megan called me to scream at me about the Muppets. I didn't scream at you. <laughs> we screamed at each other. We screamed at each other. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing that I heard Both of was us that screaming. It's fine. The only thing that I heard was that Megan loudly proclaimed, we are not going to lose this friendship over the goddamn Muppets. I think I, I still have it. No, it was on a voicemail. It. I think I still have it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Amazing. You should Amazing. find that. Yeah. All right. Uh, does that cover it? Yeah. All right. Let us get the hell out of here. We will not be back next week with a new podcast. So you will have to just wait a whole other week to hear our thoughts on the uh, Academy Award show and whether or not we're going to get another um, playful, campy debacle like we did in 1989. We probably won't. Um, but uh, we are the three M's contributors, Joey Moser, Megan McLaughlin, and me, Clarence Moy. Thanking you for joining us, asking you to remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Awards Daily and wishing you a very pleasant tomorrow.